I don't know about you all, but I've been ruminating on last week's message. Is ruminating? That's an ag term, isn't it? Yeah, FFA. Yeah, oh, oh gosh, it's been so long. Four. No fair. Yes, I know, I, yeah. Did I mention my dad was a vet? So it's more in my DNA that I know these things. No, I'm kidding. Nope, that's I don't know much, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I've just been thinking a lot about uh, what we learned last week, how John the Baptist's message was a message of repentance, um, but also the power of the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit to live lives of repentance for the gospel. And um, I've just been crying out all the more this week for the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life not only pleasing but purposeful for the Lord. And uh, so it's been good for me to be going through Mark with you all. I'm actually teaching it currently with our youth ministry on Wednesdays, um, so I'm double teaming Mark, so it's kind of fun. Um, And looking forward to maybe finishing the chapter this week. So that's a big, tall order. We may stop with the healing of the leper in verse 40, but we'll see how it goes. So uh, Jesus, we're thankful for your word. We thank you that uh, we don't have to kind of go with a flow and kind of, you know, see who seems to be more outspoken uh, in this decade or who's more passionate this week and let's hear what they have to say and 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 our theology goes up and down like the ocean waves and our emotions take us to and fro but we're thankful that we have the word of god that you have revealed yourself to us and that you've written it down and we can come to it and know who you are and all that you desire for us and so show us that in jesus the servant as we study the gospel of Mark, would you be making us servants? Would you make us people who follow after Jesus and serve Polina in the surrounding area and our friends and our family, uh, laying our lives down for their good, God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, uh, and I need to put my glasses on, especially this late in the day. Uh, It says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we know that this is one of the reasons Jesus came to the Galilee area. Uh, It was because his cousin, John the Baptist, had been put in prison And so he kind of just went a little bit of a different direction to to slightly avoid some persecution. Um, Now, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. When you read Matthew chapter 4, right after the temptation, it says, He went to Galilee to fulfill that which was saying of him. Hmm, We'll just go with it. Said of him that the... The people who have dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. And so this area, northern Israel, by the Sea of Galilee, people who were involved in all kinds of pagan practices, uh, they, they were in darkness. They were in bondage. They needed some hope, and they needed 
some light. And so uh, Jesus was in Galilee. And this is where we just hear the first words of his preaching. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And as I kind of prayed out today, as you study theology and you study the kingdom, you have what is called uh, the kingdom that is now and the kingdom that's not yet. And so there's so much that is uh, for us today and now. Um, and there's some different thoughts on this throughout the different denominations and whatnot. Um, but there's so much that's evident today, so much in our hearts, so much freedom, so much peace, so much healing. The Lord does heal many times, but not every time. That would be a kingdom now thing. Um, I've seen healing. I've witnessed healing. Uh, even just the other day, I remembered being a youth pastor and going in to pray for a lady who had like a sauce, uh, a sauce plate, no, a dinner plate, one of the plates, <laughs> sized tumor in her abdomen. And I went in to pray for her and um, she was preaching the gospel to her nurse and she's just preaching and she's like, oh honey, come over here and pray for me. I got this sauce plate sized tumor, you know. And I went and I just, you know, I was just like, hey, I believe God heals and I've seen him heal my father. I've shared that a little bit. And I just prayed for her and felt like an idiot. You know, sometimes you're just like, I don't know. if that <laughs> And got some nice chopped hospital ice and ate it on my way out, you know. And, uh, and she calls me the next day. She was supposed to go into surgery that afternoon. And she says, the doctors went to go do surgery and um, the tumor was gone. And so we're like, praise God, hallelujah, you know. And so there's times like that where you see the kingdom is now. And you, you see the advancement of the gospel. You see... Um, as we go to Nepal every year in our organization that we're with, they're up high up in the Himalayas where there's a lot of demonic activity. There's a lot of uh, illness. There's a lot of impurities through food and water. Um, and just in the short time we've been there, uh, we've had blind women see again. You know, um, we've had uh, we've prayed for what the villagers thought were demon possessed babies, you know, like crazy stuff that's going on. And we're just pushing back the darkness, um, with the kingdom of light. And, and Jesus preached this kingdom and probably more than ever in human history, it, it was here. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Two things, repent, number one, and number two, believe in the gospel. Um, these things go hand in hand. Repent speaks of a change of mind that results in a change of action. It's a 180 degree turn. So if you're going this way, you're going to turn around and you're going to go the other direction. And so whatever it is, whatever sin issue or behavioral issue we have in our life, as we read the word of God, we're stuck to the heart with conviction that this is not the way God does things. And so we turn and we go the other direction. Um, this all is in accord with believing the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news from the battlefield. No, no one's so happy to be at church today. What's not so great about this? This is nothing to cry about. <clears throat> A man named Dr. Paul Reese said, the gospel is neither a discussion or a debate, it is an announcement. And I want to encourage you guys with that as we go share the gospel out in the field, every one of us, 
don't feel like you have to have all the answers in the world. Don't feel like you've got to give an explanation. It is good. Other places in scripture, it says, you know, know how to answer. And yet at the same time, you can just say what you know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's power in that. Um, You can just announce it just as Jesus did. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe this good news of grace, salvation from our sins, freedom from bondage to sin, the hope of heaven uh, that's not based on our own works or our own righteousness, but based upon what Jesus has done in laying down his life for us at the cross, rising from the dead so that we can live in resurrection life, and then sending the Holy Spirit so that he can be in us and upon us to empower us to live for him. J.C. Ryle said, Repent and believe the gospel. This is that old sermon which all of the faithful witnesses of God continually preach. From the very beginning of the world, from nowhere down to the present day, the burden of the address has always been the same. Repent and believe. He goes on to say, we shall never reach heaven if we die unrepentant and unbelieving. The new heart and a lively faith in our Redeemer is absolutely beautiful towards salvation. With them, all true Christianity begins in the soul. Repent and believe. And the exercise of that consists the life of religion. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Two things. Number one, have you repented? And I like what Martin Luther had to say about it. The Christian life is a continual life of stumbling and bump. This is, I'm paraphrasing. I don't think, I don't think he said bumbling, but stumbling and bumbling and realizing that that's sinful and turning and repenting. And then just the next thing comes up and the next thing, and we're just sorrowful for our sin, rejoicing in salvation, turning from our sin, running to the Lord. Let's go on. Mark 1, 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So we have these incredible first disciples and these great calling experience. I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this moment. He says, next, we are not made all that we shall be or all that we ought to desire to be when we are fished for and caught. This is what the grace of God does for us at first, but it's not all. We are like the fishes, making sin to be our element, and the good Lord comes. And with the gospel net, he takes us and he delivers us from the life and love of sin. But he's not wrought for us all that he can do, nor all that we should wish him to do when he's done this. For it is another and a higher miracle to make us who were fish to become fishers to make the saved ones saviors, to make the convert into a converter, the receiver of the gospel into an importer of that same gospel to other people. Spurgeon goes on to say, I think I may say to every person whom I'm addressing, if you are saved yourself, 
the work is but half done until you are employed to bring others to Christ. You are as yet but half formed in the image of your Lord. You have not attained to the full development of the Christ life in you unless you've commenced in some feeble way to tell others of the grace of God. And I trust that you will find no rest to the soul on your foot until you've been the means of leading many to that blessed Savior who is your confidence and your hope. Bear with me as just another couple sentences. His word is, follow me, not merely that you would be saved, nor even that you may be sanctified, but follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The fact is that every one of us must take to the business of a man catcher. If Christ has caught us, we must catch others. God has called us to be fishers of men. A true disciple hears the call of Jesus, leaves everything that he has and follows the Lord or is willing and to say, everything I have is yours, Lord. So the moment you call me to forsake it, I'll go after you. He leaves his past life when Jesus asks and he heeds Jesus's call. Peter says in Luke's gospel later on in his life, uh, later on in Jesus's ministry, he says, see, Lord, we have left all and followed you. And he might be referring to the father's business. Like, remember back, you know, the big old fishing boats, you know, that we had. And, and this is quite a thing, Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. And just uh, the disciples had already met him in the story. They'd already known him, but this was like a calling on their lifetime. It was a calling to not just be saved, but to be a part of the ministry of evangelizing the world. I mean, could you imagine doing this today? Um, even going, like I've been to Newport a couple times this year, I think, and been on some different docks. And uh, I think it's been this year, twice recently, something along the, you know. And, you know, you're at the docks, you're in the marinas, and there's these big giant boats, and it's business, you know. I mean, they've got the big boom things that go out, you know, and the cages that drop. And, and those guys are men, and they are rugged, and they are tough, and they know how to work, and kind of scary a little bit, you know. <laughs> And uh, they're scraping barnacles off the hole, you know. And can you just imagine, just like, hey, come on, <laughs> get off that boat and let's go, you know. If it were me, they'd be like, have you seen that latest crazy guy that's around? The crazy guys are always coming to the coast, let's be honest. But this guy, you know, there was something about Jesus. There was some authority about him. And they already knew that. When they'd met him, they had the whole interactions of, man, you know, uh, this guy surely is the Christ. And and so, something I love about this story is that he saw Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were fishing, and he called them to leave the fish, to leave the fishing uh, boat, and to become fishers of men. And the interesting thing is, just later we read about John and his brother James, James and John, and they left their mending of nets, and it's been said this that they became menders of men. That John and James' ministry, it, it was like a, a ministry to the soul of individuals. And I've always loved that. I've always loved that he takes fishermen and he makes fishers of men. I've always loved that he takes menders of nets and makes menders of men. And I just, I find that fascinating and I don't want to make more of it than maybe the Bible makes of it. But I think Really, if we ask the Lord, like, Lord, how would you transpose who I am as a person to be a part of, like, your work to reach the world? 
You know, and if you'll forgive me, because most of you know me, I can't, like, bluff you and be like, I'm an incredible cowboy, I know how to rope, and I know how to ride, and, you know, like, you guys have all, they call me one heel woey in the uh, branding traps, you know. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, I started it, and it got catchy, so. Next year, it'll be two heel woey. We're, we're working on it. Okay. You know, but, but I grew up on a ranch, and I did grow up, you know, on the cattle drives, and I grew up you know, uh, cutting alfalfa and I grew up raking and bailing and sitting, you know, riding with my tractor all those hours and feeding the cows. Oh my gosh. Silage in the winter time in like a 1950s truck, you know, writing in the fog in the window and just like, you know, we didn't have phones and you know, all that back then. I tell my son that you have no idea, you know, and, and just, I believe that the Lord has kind of transposed that into the kingdom. Like, man, we are now, I am now, you know, someone who pursues people that they would know Jesus and be saved. And there's that element of like, let's round them up. You know, I think even there was a minister, I was gone, but something in Primeville recently was like the round, what was it? You know, the guy with the six shooters and he was like, it was a missionary thing. It was a, an outreach. Anyways, it was something about Primeville Roundup. And they were like, trying to round up people for Jesus. I loved it. I was jealous. I hadn't thought of that sooner. But, you know, but, you know, oh, that, you know, now, you know, Jesus calls it like a shepherd ministry. And now we're tending people and feeding people and, and transposing. Like, you get it. I don't need to go on and on about the illustration because it breaks down after a while. In a prolapsed uterus the other day. It's like, no, there's nothing. Help me out, guys. Help me out. <laughs> But would you consider that in your own life? Like, who are you and what? You know, maybe you're the mender. And you know what? God has just called you to be someone, your detailed mind or whatnot. He wants to use that for the ministry. He wants to take your present passion and flip it over to to kingdom advancement. John being a man that healed people's hearts and... And so, uh, just pray about that and, and consider that. Uh, how interesting that these men would become fishers for souls. And also how interesting that he called these hardworking men to be a part of the ministry. You know, there's something about the fishermen, and they're rugged, they're up early, they're, you know, they, they face danger, you know, the, the waves are up here and then they're down here, you know, and he just says, you guys are totally cut out for one day being martyrs for me. I mean, you know, and and of course they were chickens without the power of the Holy Spirit, right? But I just, I appreciate who you guys are and who the Lord's made you to be. You, You men and women are tough and rugged and there's a rugged world that needs to hear about Jesus. Who's, who's going to do it? You know, just we can press into Jesus and receive his power and go out and make those disciples. Does a fisherman strive to catch the fish? Absolutely. He works at it, right? Does he use all means? Does he go through the times where he has to grieve over failure and, and rejoices over success? I remember studying Jesus's parable on the shrewd servant you know, and do you guys know that parable, the shrewd servant, you know, he's going to get fired. And so he kind of goes out there and he's like, Hey, what do you owe my boss? Like, okay, give me half of that. And I'll go take it to him. Hey, what do you owe my boss? Give me, 
give me a quarter of it. He just, he gets some money to take to his boss and is like, you shrewd little guy, you knew, you knew you were on the chopping block, but you just brought a whole bunch of coin to me and I was never going to see that money. Like, and Jesus says this, he says, how much more ought the sons of light to be wise and shrewd? And I, I remember learning that and just thinking, man, how can we be shrewd? That means kind of wise and, and it could be negative or it could be like, hey, let's be tactful about how to reach people here. Lord, what would you have us do? What, how do we bait the hook, essentially, is what I'm getting at. How can we fish for men in this community? Elijah, you little cute girl, you. All right, verse 21. There's a lot to be said there, but in this heat, you got to tone it down a little bit. Okay. Verse 21, then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So um, hopefully you have Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, Sarah will give you the password to her Facebook account and you can get on and check this out. But because I'm going to be showing some videos on our church Facebook page here that are my trip to Israel. Uh, I've gone four times and the last time I went, I took a camera with me and I did instructional videos, you know, on Israel. And I have a video of, um, of the Sea of Galilee and of Capernaum, and it'll totally be a virtual reality Bible for you because this, where we're at right now, it's going to be explained in the video. It's high definition too, so you're going to, okay. Um, but so they're in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. One thing incredible is that the synagogue that is mentioned here uh, is, is the ruins are there, but that's not actually the synagogue Jesus was in. You have to go down to the foundation stones to begin to see the pieces of the synagogue that were there when Jesus was there. So it's incredible because as you go there, you're looking at a darker colored stone and it's the stones that Jesus walked on. You know, I always love like if I were a fly on the wall, you know, or if, if walls could talk, driving by these old houses coming out here, I'm like, Oh, they've got some stories to tell, but they can't. Okay. Um, But you imagine the stones and the bedrock in these areas of the foundation stones, um, the things they heard this day as Jesus began to teach. In verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were amazed and they were, in a sense, struck dumb with astonishment that here's this guy and he is speaking with power and life. There's life in the gospel. He'd been anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking. He knows it. He wrote it. He gets it. He's the literal writer of the book. And all the scribes, they're just trying to like make something happen. And all they can bring is rules and regulation and rituals and bondage. And there's no power in that. And the people knew that when they heard Jesus talking, they knew this guy has authority. In fact, the language speaks of jurisdiction, which if you kind of get law enforcement, like you have no place over here, but you do. And it's like, whoa, Jesus totally has a place here. He can speak into our lives in this area. Verse 23, while he's teaching, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out or he shrieked is what the language is saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Now, real quick, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but notice the plural personal pronouns, I guess is what it would be. So the demon is yelling, but what is he saying? He's saying us, 
us and we. So either there's many demons there, or this is how close the guy was, and he's kind of speaking. He's speaking for the buddy that he's inhabited, you know, like, I'll do the talking, you know. Who are you? We're here, and, you know. What do you plan on doing with us? And we see that other places in the gospel, right? They're like, don't torment us. Don't send us into the pit yet. Did you come to destroy us? And then notice it shifts, and now it says, I, singular. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so the New American Standard Bible says, what business do we have with each other here? How interesting that the demon has a pretty good theology and doctrine of who Jesus is. His Christology, he got an A in Bible college, okay? Which is interesting. You guys know it, right? James chapter 2, like, oh, you believe in God? Good job. I mean, it's all around us. We know there's a creator, right? The demons even believe in God. And they tremble. So what needs to be deeper than a demonic theology of who Jesus is? It's heart transformation, right? It's, it's repenting and believing the gospel. Being born again. He's, uh, so he, he is the Holy One, it's true. But Jesus says to this thing, be quiet and come out of them. It speaks of muzzling him. And you can just kind of picture this. Who are you? We're here. You're here. You know? And then just like. You know? Totally got muzzled by Jesus. Sometimes it happens to us, right? We think. He's like, how about you be quiet? And we move on. Um, And as Jesus muzzled him, he rebukes this devil. and And it comes out. But not without putting up a fight first. Verse 26, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Um, haven't been around many exorcisms. I don't know about you guys. I'm afraid to YouTube it to see what it's like. Um, but I have seen demons. I've been around demonic presence. I just haven't been uh, in an exorcism that I know of or that I can think of. But I was in Brazil, downtown. And there was a business, I was, I was waiting for a, a cab or a ride, and I was with a bunch of teenagers, and there, there was a major highway literally this close to me, and I was up on a sidewalk right here, and it's cars, and we're waiting for our cab. And a businessman is coming, and behind the businessman is a, a man in tidy whities with just scars all over his body, and a big old puff of hair, and he's going like this, and he's right at the businessman's like neck, like yelling and just doing that. And um, and the businessman like didn't even know he was there. It was the most crazy thing. And he like the minute I looked over, I was just like boom. I just like it was discernment within my soul that there was demonic presence in this man. And I'm like. You know, so you're, there's not a lot of wiggle room to run from the demon at this point, you know? And I was a little mad at my teenagers over with me. I was not ready for this, okay? And uh, I'm like, he's totally going to come at me. And he passes in front of me, and he comes back, and he gets up in my face, and he's just, or whatever, you know? And I just, I was not Jesus at the time, and I just said, get out of here! We don't want you here. Get out of here. I know you're so disappointed in me. That was a prime opportunity. 
He spoke Portuguese. He didn't speak English. What was I supposed to do? And, uh, and so he, I, I rebuked him and he went away and my friend came out of the subway and walked over and he said, dude, I just totally saw that demon like come at you. He said, I, the minute I came up off the escalator, I saw in my, and I was like, me too, you know? And so it's an, it's an interesting thing. And about a month after we left the, the Calvary chapel there was in this building we had our back up against. And during the service, they had a demon manifest itself and they had to lock down the church and they spent the afternoon fasting praying kids off in this little room right here um and this demon is rattling off personal information about everybody in the room's life uh and finally they were able to to cast it out of this man but um here we see that you know this is a tale as old as time and i think that we really are blind to the spiritual realities you know of what's going on mentally in people and health-wise. And not that the Lord doesn't use some medications or things like that, but we ought to first go to prayer and fasting about discernment, about what is going on in people's lives. And if he wants to deliver them uh, through the power of the gospel and the power of the kingdom. And, uh, and this guy, this demon, um, he did not go out quietly. There was the shrieking and the crying out with a loud voice. He convulsed and was shaken. Uh, the language cry out is, uh, in the Greek, it's krazo. So you can do the math on that one. And, uh, and then verse 27, and when they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And so this, this new awesome gospel of the kingdom, which is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing towards this time, but the people who were in bondage to um, external rituals, they just didn't have hold a candle. Um, we're going to move very quickly uh, <clears throat> up through this following section so that we can wrap it up. They were all amazed. Um, oh, we just read that. 28. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the regions around Galilee. And as soon as they'd come out of the synagogue, you see how fast paced this book is like immediately the fame went, boom, they go out of the synagogue. Uh, they enter the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And so this is great. You'll see this on the video that I'm going to share. You walk out of the synagogue and probably as far as I could throw a football, which is about 20 feet, you know, um, no, probably about 20 yards. If I'm having a good shoulder day. Uh, is Peter's house. Like all these homes were very close to the synagogue. And to this day, you can walk just right around and there's a giant octagonal church that's been built over this house, but you can still see the ruins. And uh, Peter's house is there. It's famous for being Peter's house. And this is where they went in. So it's just crazy to be there. We call it virtual reality Bible. And as they got there, verse 30, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. <clears throat> and so he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And so he touched her and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she uh, served them. And so you guys know how horrific a, a high fever is and how achy and how you can't. I'm a big baby. I mean, I've obviously never delivered a child. So, you know, I've never been that tough, you know, and then. 
don't tell anybody, but I sort of got a hot tub rash this week. <laughs> so, and like my lymph nodes in my, in my armpit, you know, you get to know me really well, were just, uh, they were just, what do you call it? Thick, <laughs> swollen. <laughs> oh, they hurt so bad. Like, you know, just so much pain. Had to go to urgent care. They, like she came in. She came in and saw me at urgent care and was like kind of giggly because she was, and Lindsay's in there because we're like lymph node stuff and I have a history of cancer in my family. We're like, this is it. You know, this is going to be a very difficult season. We're ready for this. You know, and she comes in, she's like, dude, like clean your hot tub. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Can you like tell me it's something worse than that for my friends? Okay. But, it, you know, when you've got a hot tub rash or a fever, it's bad, you know. You're calling Jesus to come into your home and uh, to touch you. And uh, what's beautiful is immediately she got up and she was ready to serve. She's like, I'm good. Are you good? You know, and they gave me some antibiotics. And I was immediately like, honey, can I do the dishes? You know, can I do the laundry? What can I do? Can I help around here? But that's a normal thing. <clears throat> okay. And... Uh, Jesus, so you, Luke saying he rebuked the fever and immediately she rose and served him. And uh, verse 32, wrapping it up, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. So don't we read over this so fast sometimes and we just forget really how desperate people really are when they're hurting and they're sick and they've got cancers and they've got tumors and they've got lymph nodes and rashes and everything like that, let alone demon possession. Like, I mean, we know people that you're like, you should go get your kid checked out because I think there's a Beelzebub in there. This is not a good thing. And these people came and they were broken and hopeless. In verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. So Peter's house, everyone's at the door. Like, come on out. Like, we've got a little, uh, we've got a little hospital here that we need some help. And verse 34, he's just so faithful. He's such a great servant because he went and he healed them. He healed many who were sick, all sorts of diseases. You name it, boom, they were healed of it. And they cast out many demons. And he cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So just like that first demon, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is like muzzle on the mouth because I don't need your public relations degree. Okay, like I don't need you going around telling everyone who I am. I'm going to tell them who I am. And this happened in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Philippi, you'll remember, and the demon-possessed girl, fortune teller girl. And she's like, hey, everyone, these guys are preaching Jesus. And Peter, or Paul just turns around and says, shut up and get out of her. And, uh, and that's what got them into prison. And we're going to end there.